episode of EdTech Hour is brought to you by the Educational Psychology Technology Program at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. The Chicago School's mission is integrating the values of education, innovation, service, and community. The Chicago School provides students innovative and practitioner-based learning experiences in which they're able to positively impact others around the world and address issues faced by underserved populations. Through collaboration of university administration, faculty, and students, the EdTech Hour was created in order to pursue our vision of innovation and global outreach. This monthly podcast series will include thought leaders from around the world who will discuss relevant issues centered not only on technology, but also the impact of technology on humanity. Speakers will provide listeners with stories of how they have impacted learners, employees, and communities through the pursuit of understanding how individuals learn and use technology to improve performance. This show provides a global medium to share and promote various issues and developments and learning and how professionals are utilizing technology. By listening to the show, I hope that you are able to develop a unique insight into how you can incorporate similar topics and trends into your own professional settings. I look forward to learning more about our topic with you throughout this episode. is Sonomar Villegas, and I am a doctoral candidate at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Um, I am super excited to be interviewing Rohit Kumar from the organization Apni Shala, based out of Mumbai, India. Apni Shala is an organization uh, that their main vision is to build social and emotional competencies among individuals to constructively engage with society and have a harmonious coexistence. After looking at their website and looking at their progress reports over the last six months, I am so impressed and so proud of the work that they're doing. Um, At this time, I want to introduce you to Rohit Kumar. Um, Rohit, can you take just a few moments, introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to um, your career trajectory that led you to being the CEO of Abneshala. Thank you for this invitation, Sonimar. I, I think I'm just glad to be here to be able to talk to your listeners today. Uh, I actually was trained to be a software engineer. I I did my master's in software engineering. Uh, Worked with a software company for a couple of years in Mumbai, uh, uh, almost for for, for four and a half to five years. Uh, While I was working there, I had started volunteering with uh, children in low-income homes in Mumbai. And that would be like, you know, from Monday to Friday, I'm going and building softwares for for an IT, uh, for a firm, but then also coming on weekends to or uh, doing this work with students in, on Sundays, right? And for doing for uh, almost two to three years, uh, it just kind of started uh, hitting me that that's something that I really enjoy. Uh, I really kind of, uh, it made sense for me to be in a classroom. Uh, and that was primarily my reason to start reconsidering my career choices. Uh, I I then kind of started doing some kind of corporate CSR work. I, I I kind of moved internally within the same company. And then from there, I realized that education is the space that I want to be in. Uh, but I also realized uh, by then, uh, Sonima, that education is something not just because I have learned how to speak English or how to do math, I will be able to teach kids, right? Uh, that's something that dawned upon me when I was volunteering. And, and I realized that I need to understand what education is. 
so then I went for my second master's, I can, uh, which is which I did from from a college in in Mumbai itself. Oh, for me to get a deeper understanding of what is education, or uh, when we talk about what is the sociology of education, what is the politics of education, or uh, what is the psychology of education. And uh, while doing that, I had also left my uh, IT company to kind of uh, start working with a non-profit in Mumbai, uh, which does tremendously amazing job of just working with public school systems on building great schools. And uh, that was a great exposure for me to understand what are the educational realities of my country. Uh, and when I was doing that, it was also becoming very apparent that when we were talking about education, we were primarily, and we still do, uh, and, and I'll speak primarily for, for the most landscapes in India, I won't say all, the focus of education is very academic, right? And, and that focus also is, uh, it kind of marginalizes some students and uh, centers some students. And uh, when, when I started kind of seeing that and it was becoming very, very visible, uh, the organization that I was working with had this really interesting program called Social Leadership Program. Uh, where we worked with a group of youth who was primarily uh, in the bottom quartile of uh, academic scores, right? And we would work with them on building their leadership. When I started doing that work, and that was an intensive three years, and I, I would say my biggest education of life comes from those three years. Uh, I actually, and uh, in those days, I didn't have the language of social emotional learning, but I understood that for education to be holistic, for education to be uh, child-centric, responsive to the human development, developmental needs of a child, uh, it is very, very crucial to focus on cognitive, physical, and psychosocial development altogether. And when we started doing that work, the, the ways of engaging, the, what I would call is the ways of thriving for young people changed, right? Uh, I worked with that organization for a couple of years, and from there, then I moved into an international school. Uh, with that school, again, uh, I was serving and working with a very different population. In my previous organization, I was working with children who come from marginalized, systemically uh, marginalized communities, uh, which are marginalized from base caste, class, economics, or gender. But then on the other side, then I was working with students who come from some of the richest homes in the country, right? And when I started working with them, uh, Initially, the response is, you know, uh, they don't, they have everything in the world. Uh, what will education do further for them, right? And there it started becoming more and more apparent that uh, there are certain aspects of child uh, development, a certain aspects of young people's growth, which is, uh, which is a problem area across the education sector. And I think that's when uh, Apnishala was an organization that was already working uh, in the space of social emotional development. Uh, Amrita Nair, uh, uh, Shweta, and Anukriti, who are co-founders of this organization, they started this work in 2013. Uh, I started volunteering with them around 2015 when we were kind of piloting a, a program for social emotional development for uh, youth groups. Because I had the experience of working with youth earlier. And I think that was my first engagement with Apneshala. Uh, and from there, then this journey just, just has grown uh, from being a volunteer to then started working part-time with them uh, and then moving full-time. I left my uh, international school job to then start doing this because what I what became very, very visible for all of us at Apneshala is that uh, when we look at education, it looks at young people from a single lens of let's get them build competencies, right? However, when we 
marry education to the mental health frameworks what what emerges is a very unique way of responding to ways of being for young people and uh, when we say that for apni shala it became very very crystal clear in last couple of years when when we started looking at how do we develop competencies for young people and at the same how do we make the systems around children more compassionate more caring because it is not only the problem of young people that they are experiencing distress and anxiety and and uh, depression at, at times right uh, many of these uh, challenges are triggered by the issues of the ecosystem like exclusion marginalization uh, bullying uh, how do we reduce that so that young people can thrive and i think uh, that's what excites me uh, or, or kind of grounds me in doing what i do at apnishala and uh, i'm just kind of lucky to be in uh, where i am today to be able to do this work i love that i can definitely see your your passion uh for what you're doing and there's a few things that i um noticed one thing was when i was looking at your uh linkedin profile i did notice that your degree was in uh software engineering your your work and i was wondering okay well, how did he go from that to education so i definitely appreciate you sharing the background of how you got there um i think it it speaks uh, you know to your passion because you led and you followed your passion right you um found something that interested you spoke to your heart and you have continued to follow that um and regarding your organization one thing that i totally appreciated um as i was going through the information um was that you do you know target the students but you also um focus on the families you focus on the educators and the facilitators it's a very holistic approach to serving that population um and i think it's a a very good um uh, effective strategy to use in uh providing you know that wrap around support to the students um and and when you were speaking one of the things that uh, there's a phrase that i hear a lot and i use a lot in my um in my daily work which is you need to reach the child before you can teach the child and and that's um most definitely what i heard um from your explanation of what led you to this job so very uh just definitely loved it um so tell me a little bit about and i've i've kind of led into a little bit can you describe the main areas of focus for omnishala like what are all the areas that you target because it is very comprehensive so you know tell our audience a little bit about what you do as an organization sure sanivar i think uh, uh, there are four different ways of responding to this right uh, one is that uh, in india there's a huge lack of access to social emotion learning how do we respond to that and in doing that then we started uh, reaching out to children and as you rightly said first we need to reach out to the child right so uh, creating those spaces for young people where this can be a possibility where they can learn these skills right the second one was that how do we build a a program that responds to young people uh, what we did was we started with uh, in the beginning when we were doing this work we took we took up uh, who's life skills framework and we found that it was very broad and we need needed something which kind of responds to what what makes sense right so we kind of uh, used cases framework which is really 
lovely and kind of makes sense. So uh, what we did was then our second piece of work is that how do we build a responsive uh, framework and design that works for children in India primarily. Right, and in doing that, then uh, uh, we used Kesal's framework, but we also looked at uh, what are the uh, psychosocial philosophies that will actually make sense for us, and in doing that, integrating them uh, uh, Kesal's framework, and then how do we evaluate? How do we understand it makes sense or not? So that is an ongoing work that we are doing. The third piece is that uh, how do we shift the ecosystem? Right. So these two. Uh, uh, strategic goals are basically to kind of help support the child the other two strategic goals are to build more caring ecosystems right so in doing that then the first piece that we do is capacitating more and more educators and mental health workers to be able to do social emotional learning work and in doing that a lot of work has is self work uh, as adults we have not been uh, trained to kind of understand our own social emotional development right uh, i never received that in our school uh and i don't expect that teachers do right so without any blame shame or guilt how can we now create an opportunity for them to experience that and then build further the competencies so that they can do it with their students and then the last piece is that how can we continue to advocate for uh, well being how can we continue to kind of advocate for mental health for young people and that piece then happens with different partners uh, and uh, whether government non government partners so for example we work with uh, around 18 municipal schools the public schools in mumbai and we have been very intentional in in choosing public school as a primary space of our work because then we think that uh, that creates opportunity for large level uh, you know ecosystem shift and hence just thinking about it from all these four approaches uh, these are our key strategic goals and how do we respond is for example partnership is a big mover for us we believe that aprishala cannot do and should not all of, do all of this alone so we always seek out uh, active meaningful trustworthy partnerships whether with government uh, other non profits or corporations if required how can we uh, nurture that and with communities as well uh, parents are our biggest partners of uh, ensuring that they understand what social emotional learning is so the, all of that piece becomes really really uh, crucial design principle for us at aprishala uh, Yeah, I will. I will take a pause here. Am I responding to your question, or did you mean to ask something differently? No, it's perfect. No, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, in in the design itself, Sonimar, what also happens is, uh, as I was speaking about the build part, we look at two things. One is what is going into our program design, and how it is going. Like, who are the people? So, if we are saying that uh, we believe in the five competencies of Kesal, which is self awareness. social awareness self management responsible decision making and relationship skills so what also done is we have weaved it back into organizational design uh, can we look at our own hr policies from these uh, five competencies uh, and that piece is very very important uh, there are a couple of other philosophies that inform apni shala's work one is narrative therapy practices uh, uh, which is uh, a therapy practice that believes in uh, people are not the problem problem is the problem and and we very intentionally want to kind of structure that we we want to kind of take away this idea that problem resides in our bodies right how do we start looking at problem in the larger systems how do we start looking at uh, uh, young people as experts of their own lives so that uh, they then build their strengths and and play from their strengths right the second philosophy forms our work is mindfulness uh, that Uh, really beautifully seeps into what we do and why we do uh, mindfulness uh, invites us to 
think about present moment focus it also think about what should we give attention to or uh, how are we thinking about compassion or uh, how how compassion can be structured in the ecosystem so uh, that work again uh, how we do it with children how do we do that with systems and how do, do we do that with ourselves as well so apnishala team goes through trainings we kind of continue to reflect on our own ways of being and how we are that ways of being then uh, influences the way we are working with young people uh, apart from that uh, we also give a lot of emphasis on diversity and inclusion so thinking about it from the uh, systems lens that how uh, marginalization plays out how exclusion plays out and how can we then create new possibilities and then the last one comes from the educational landscape which is constructivist learning theory we believe that young people can anyone can construct their own knowledge and they always do how can we be more more of a facilitator of that knowledge and skill building rather than uh, directly kind of you know uh, assuming that the young people are blank slates and we are going to fill fill them up so just kind of these are couple of things that we continue to to kind of try or uh, we are not best at it we are still trying sometimes we mess up we go back and correct that's the process yeah it's it's kind of a uh, constructivist learning for us right as we pursue our passions and learn how to teach the young people we develop our own um understanding of how kids learn which is right up you know uh this podcast is for the educational psychology and technology department which is what i'm uh receiving my doctor my doctorate in so it's right up uh like to use that term right up our alley of um the educational the psycho the psychology of learning and how to do that appropriately and it sounds like the method and the strategies you are taking um are um I think they're going to you're going to see some really good uh, results and 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 I'm sure you have already seen them. So um there's so many questions that I have just based on that one uh question. So let me start with um you know as you have uh, one thing that I that I noticed is that you became the CEO um in June of 2019 and while you have been working for this organization since 2015 um you know you took on such a vital role at this point of leading the organization forward and then just 10 months later uh we we got a worldwide pandemic um so how did this um you know did this impact the vision and the strategic goals of your organization um and and since you've had to pretty much go virtual with this program talk to us about the the challenges and the successes and the lessons learned from transitioning to primarily virtual right and that's how i'm understanding it from from your packet thank you for phrasing that question the way you did sonimar i think i never thought of, thought of it in that sense Uh, first year of being a ceo is always like you're always fire fighting right uh, yes <laughs> uh, i think at apni shala as well i was like um, uh, i was still learning understanding the organization from from the role that i was uh, i had entered so everything itself was a mini pandemic for me right uh, and then covid <laughs> happened <laughs> so i think uh, uh, what helped us uh, sorry mar i will start from there uh luckily for apni shala of the way uh, i would say not luckily it was very intentional actually uh two years back uh, 
we had restructured the way we looked at a leadership within apnishala sunni we said that uh, this idea of individuals individual leadership uh, kind of puts a burden or uh, takes away the possibility of the uh, democratic uh, imagination from from the organization right so we had structured something called collective leadership where uh, while i i am the ceo or uh, none of the decisions are all or rarely any of the decisions are only mine so we have we have a team of four folks um, amrita sangeeta myself and mayuri uh, four of us kind of take most of the strategic decisions together in consultation with our board right uh, because we had something like that structured for the leadership as well as for almost everyone in the organization so everyone works in this little cohorts of collective teams right mm-hmm. uh, that really kind of created a one a safety net of we are not in this alone i don't have to respond to this individually right and we knew that we could thought partner with each other to kind of create a response that was more humane right so when march happened and luckily uh, in in india what happens is uh, the cycle of uh, schools are from june to uh, may right or uh, march is typically the time when exams are happening and then in april schools are shutting down so the timing was good for us because what happened was when the when and for social emotional learning program we typically wrap up in first and second week of march so uh-huh. we had almost done that and then we went into lockdown uh so most of our work in that time was reporting right uh, now what we did was we said let we don't want to be reactive we we let the team take its time because many of our team members also come from diverse backgrounds right so some of them actually come from the uh, similar low income homes that our students come from now uh, how that that is impacting different individuals in the team that had to be understood so we said let's first un- uh, let's first understand what's going on so we gave two weeks for teams to settle down uh, do what was possible not do what was not possible keep everyone else informed right uh, and when april came that's when we started thinking of uh, uh, we we are also kind of you know because i was speaking about the partnerships uh, we said let's figure out what's going on in the ecosystem not just for apnishala but what other social impact organizations are doing uh, what what is government strategy so we started cutting out a lot of information in the beginning and we realized that for students that we were working with to go online will not be a situation it is going to be super difficult right mm-hmm. even when uh, they come back from the break so uh, what we did was we used the entire month of april to re-strategize uh, and look at do we need to change our vision that was our first place we said building social emotional competencies in individuals uh, towards a harmonious coexistence and we realized that that was even more crucial than ever mm-hmm. and we started hearing the same stories from everywhere else right you know the the need the kind of fear that was settling in the kind of ambiguity distress that was coming in the need for social emotional learning was emerging to be higher so we said that definitely that there's a need of work uh, our team is more attuned to do in person work with with young people how do we transition uh, how do we create multiple ways of responding to this and i think uh, the credit goes to the team i must say uh, they are the amazing bunch of folks who made it possible within a month sonemar they coached themselves to take the entire program online uh, who had imagined right uh, we would always imagine that the social emotional learning work is like you know 
it has to be in person where you're able to see the children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But within a month's time, the team trained themselves to do stuff on Zoom and Google Meet and WhatsApp and phone calls and whatnot. Uh, what also happened was uh, we realized that uh, this pandemic has also created a lot of, the, uh, we went into a severe lockdown, right? It was an absolute lockdown. And that created a huge issue of, of food supplies for uh, children of our, uh, families of our children. Uh, and uh, for us, we didn't have funds because many of our funders had pulled out. Right. <laughs> so we were like, wow. you know, in this place that how do we respond to that? Uh, and and two, because the economic recession was real, it's kind of setting in India was already going through a really bad uh, phase of uh, economic situation. And then the, re the recession started settling in. So the next thing for us was that how do we ensure that none of our lose it, lose their job? Because uh, they had to support their families. So uh, an organization focus went there. And then from there, how do we continue to support our families? So we had this really limited resource uh, from a funding point of view. So we said that, Let's find different ways to support our families. We don't have to do it alone. We can find partners and we did find partners. Individuals came, other NGOs came, donors came. And what we did was we created a relief uh, support response. And we realized that that is part of the larger mental health course because in times of uh, such distress, mental health first it becomes the first response, right? So what we did was, uh, that was not our team's uh, original competency and training. We provided training to them. Uh, and then again, uh, partners like Umi Child Development Center, which is like a really lovely center in India and does a lot of mental health work. Uh, their director, Jahanjib, came and, and did some training for our team. Uh, we then created a, a first aid tool that we started using. What happens, Sonimar, is that in situations like these, a lot of families, and they live in really, really tiny physical spaces, right? And again, going back to the issues of systems, these right. are all systemic problems and they need systemic responses, right? Uh, an NGO uh, as small as uh, Apneeshala shouldn't be kind of have to deal with some of these things, but we had to. And many other nonprofits had to. Uh, however, uh, the way we started working with them, with the families was we realized that even though there were, there were helplines, families would not pick up the phone and call because they don't know one where to call. Will they be responded with if they call? Uh, there are other issues going on in the family. Can I really call someone? Uh, so uh, what we said was, let's, let's reach out to those families. We started collecting a lot of phone numbers of families in partnership with our uh, teachers. And we said that we will call them because they know us as an organization. Right. And it becomes like this really comfortable space to talk about your, your or discomforts, right? Um, in India, it is uh, not seen in a very positive light if I'm talking about, oh, I don't have food for my children, right? So how do we take away that shame and come into a space where we can talk about it comfortably because it's a real situation, right? And many families opened up. Uh, they started sharing uh, not just their need for relief support, but also other needs, right? Uh, now... Uh, families are packed in this really tiny spaces, right? Uh, and then other emotions are coming up. People are getting frustrated. They're losing their jobs. And uh, that frustration is spilling over each other, right? Someone is hitting someone. Someone is kind of, you know, how do we respond to that? So while there are uh, helplines for, say, domestic violence support or uh, sexual abuse support, but these families cannot reach out to that place. So that became our space of response, right? That we will first create the first level intervention, and from there, if they need to be rooted to say a domestic violence support helpline, we will do that. Because then, then they're comfortable to go there. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, 
that really uh, that really created a really meaningful relationship with families uh, and then from there we transitioned to bring children online right uh, now our team had uh, become smaller right uh, we we had limited funds we could only reach out to the schools that we could reach out to we said let's at least continue with the schools that we were already working with we said we were working with 18 schools we will continue to work with 18 schools within that also we couldn't cater to all grades uh, so we said that let's pick up the grades that are most will be most ben, uh, benefited by a program like ours right so we realized that uh, typically the grade 5 6 students they have sometimes they are seen as oh they have grown a lot so they can take care of themselves and sometimes they are seen as oh they are still kids so they don't fall really either in early childhood care nor in ad- uh, youth and adults kind of spaces so we said uh, let's reach out to them because their agency in the family uh, landscape is is mostly minimal compared to other groups so we created a response for grade 5 and 6 and you won't believe in the in the first month when we invited them for zoom classes all they wanted to do was hang out with their friends because they haven't seen them because they don't have phones their older siblings do or uh, and and they they need they have this socialization uh, and they are not able to so uh, that became our response we said let's reach out to them once in a week uh, if they are they are available to come on say uh, they have a tech device that they can have access to and come on zoom or google meet or any of those we will create groups if not then we also did an asynchronous uh, mode of engagement we have a tool called whatsapp and with whatsapp what happened was we created classroom groups and in those groups our team members will send out materials or uh, videos stories they will self record their voice recorded stories and the students would be given some worksheets etc to respond to initially it was not very actively engaged or uh, mode but slowly we are saying that uh, now it is picking up the third response was that for students who didn't have access to say any kind of uh, uh, smartphone device right how do we reach out to them so if they had even basic phones we said let's do a conference call for them uh, so we kind of uh, scaffolded whatever was possible for whom uh, and that's how we have kind of you know uh, by now it has settled down uh, it has got a sense we uh, transitioned our entire grade 5 and 6 social emotional learning curriculum to online we actually transitioned our wow. parents meeting to online and it was just fabulous to see our parents come on zoom uh, and talk about what's going on uh likewise for teachers our entire teacher engagement program moved online uh our team started doing a lot of training work for teachers uh, or another educators to do social emotional learning because we realize that this need is our beyond this reach right so now we are doing trainings for all across india yeah that's amazing uh again another kind of saying that we say in the education uh world came to my mind um you have to uh you know address the maslows uh, you know maslows hierarchy of needs before you can uh address blooms right so you think about um definitely having to just meet their basic needs at that time you know if students are hungry or stressed they can't learn anything right they can't focus on their own feelings when they're feeling hungry so um i what what i definitely appreciated and it definitely touched me very deeply is how you could 
be so flexible and 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 adjust so quickly um, and and identify the true needs of the students um, during a time of just you know Nash I mean worldwide uh, difficulty um, and. When I was reading the progress report, uh, I believe it was the one from July to September, I did notice you you kind of uh, focused down your, um, you know, by targeting those fifth and sixth graders. And I agree with you so much. Um, uh, you know, my history has been, uh, I was a uh, middle school principal for a time in a virtual school. So just to tell you a little bit about my background, I work in, um, 100% virtual schools. They have been virtual. Uh, it's a virtual company has been around for 20 years. And um, middle school, I, I struggled because you're right. That's when the parents think the kids have it. They can do it. The teachers think they should know better. And I'm like, no, this is when they need us the most. This is, you know, when they're going through so many changes in their lives and they have so many emotions and they don't know where to put everything. So I think it was very powerful and a very, um, uh, just a, a, a wonderful choice to stick with that population. Um, so let's transition. One of the things that I also noticed on your website and in your progress report is that you have a, uh, a school called COACH. Uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, talk to us about why, you know, you decided or the organization decided to open this school and how have you seen it impact not only the community, but also your organization? Thank you for that question, Sonimar. I think uh, we have asked that question ourselves for so many times, right? Why did we start the school? Uh, many other people have asked us, why have you started a school? I think... Uh, it was around 2016, Sonimar, when we were doing a research around what does it mean for a school to center its entire design on social and emotional development of young people without compromising academic growth, without compromising physical development, without compromising any other aspects of learning, right? And we said that what we are saying is not unique. Many educators have done this before. Uh, in India, outside India, uh, what we are saying and trying to do is not unique. Uh, however, what we found was uh, for something to be scaled up, people need visible model. So uh, it also started because by around 16-ish, 2016, we were uh, three to four-year-old organization, right? Uh, we, we were working with uh, public schools in Mumbai. And... Uh, in public schools, our social emotional learning model is very lean model because then we need something that, that public schools can take, right? Uh, they already have thousands of other things going on with them. Uh, one piece is education, but also the kind of bureaucracy that they have to deal with, right? And in that, they don't want one more program. Uh, so our ask from government schools was primarily that you give us one hour a week and it has to be in the timetable. So we only work with schools that, that, that they were ready to give that one hour in school time. Uh, it will not be an after-school program because we wanted to be very sure that it is, this is seen as equally important as a math or a science or a language class, right? Uh, but beyond that, uh, there was very little scope to understand that what does a school require to be able to actually structure social-emotional learning design in the entire school's ecosystem. 
and when we started doing that research we found that uh, uh, while these models exist they are either in silos or they are alternative school uh, spaces uh, and for public schools to have or ready to access model it is it needs to be in the similar context that we we are advocating it uh, and since our context was mumbai we had to create it we had to look at a model in mumbai right and we found that uh, if th there is none then let's create it uh, so that was the intention of starting coach uh, and uh, definitely of course uh, situating it within the community that the children came from that was a very crucial decision we said the school has to be in the same context as the community because uh, otherwise this idea of social emotional development uh, becomes very detached from from actual practice of social emotional development or uh, when we start detaching the idea of school from community and it becomes like a service providing a uh, space then the 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 purpose of educational engagements with larger communities lost right uh, so uh, so we are working in in one of the least development uh, developed wards of mumbai sonimar for the school uh, uh, it's in uh, in an area called govandi mankhut uh, many of our students coming from really really uh, challenging uh, economically challenging homes um, but we said let's start from kindergarten and uh, build the school one grade at a time uh, that way what we will do is one we will understand it for ourselves that what does it take for a school to be able to integrate social emotional learning into the design to to bring mental health lens into education uh, and uh, while it will remain a one school model we will also document practices that will require for any school for that matter then to transition and become a integrated school right so what kind of hr policies are required what, what kind of recruitment that should happen for a school like this or uh, what kind of training for that is, that is required for a school like this how do we build a integrated curriculum and again we leveraged on the partnerships we believe that we are not doing anything new we are doing things a little differently than what has happened before that's it so we reached out to organizations that have already done excellent work in academics right akanksha foundation lovely organization and they have done some really tremendous work in public school system so we reached out to them and they were really open to support us with their curriculum so we took their curriculum and we started kind of experimenting with that curriculum to see uh, what aspect of that curriculum is already al aligned with social emotional learning and what can further be added and, and tweaked right so that's the work we are doing uh, and then we are documenting all of it so that we have a living breathing model of a school that kind of is situated in the similar context of most children for public schools in mumbai and is also pegging our cost to the same cost as the government spends per child per year right uh, so ensuring that it is possible in a similar amount of cost uh, so that was primarily our intention uh, we have reached to till grade 2 this year uh, this year uh, due to pandemic we didn't uh, induct the uh, the first year of kindergarten we we are only working with three grades at this time uh, we actually kind of brought the entire uh, code school online this year sonima which was uh, not a dream in march we couldn't have imagined our parents and families and children to come online and study uh, every day uh, but that became possible again because the kind of <clears throat> sorry the intentionality built around uh, parent engagement for example uh, for last 3 years our social worker uh, lekha devi has been just working very very hard in building relationships with the community uh our helper didis come from the community and both uh, sita and mala support uh, uh, lekha didi in just building and nurturing parent engagement our parent engagement is sclr line so for last whole year we have only worked on parents emotions 
Uh, what does it take to raise a child? What does it take to raise a child when you're stuck in systemic poverty where you don't have the accesses of the world, right? Uh, and hence talking to them about uh, how are you feeling? Uh, and that has paid off this year because then the community was ready to create support and was ready to kind of uh, respond to the tweaks and changes. Like entire month of our summer holiday of uh, May and June went into coaching parents on how to use Zoom so that when the school reopens, they are able to kind of get the kids online, right? Uh, neighbors have come forward to share their internet because some of our kids didn't have access to internet. And neighbors have let, their, let our kids uh, attend the school from their homes, right? So there's a, there's a sense of compassion and ability to give, even if you don't have a lot, right? And the hope is that as we become a full school from, from kindergarten to grade 10, uh, we will by then be in a position to kind of support other schools who want to be on this journey, right? Because every school has its own journey. When we have that vision for integration of social emotional development with the existing frameworks, what pieces of it will work for you? So that's our hope with Coach, or uh, that Coach one day becomes that that uh, center of learning and and growth for other schools, other institutions, uh, uh, government systems to uh, take what they can take to continue to build uh, lovely SEL aligned schools. Wow, that is that is really wonderful. Um, there's so much again that you 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 definitely spoke to. Um, you know, what I think many schools around the world go through, we, we focus so much on academics that we forget about the person, right? The student, the, the child, um, and everything that they carry on their shoulders and their families um, carry on their shoulders. And um, that, you know, it's evident that the trust you built and the, and the relationships you built with the, fa the families allowed them to also transition more easily because they know you just want what's best for their child. And so they can trust the shift, you know, and any, and go along with any of the changes. So I think that's really powerful. And I, you know, definitely look forward to um, continuing to learn uh, where the school goes. That, that is amazing. Um, so, wow. So I can only imagine, um, that this experience, as you said before, you have continued to learn and you've continued to, to grow with these experiences. So I'm going to go to a, a little bit different direction. How has this entire experience with Apnishala changed you and grown you professionally and personally? Oh, it's an interesting question. Wow, a big one. I bet <laughs> nobody's asked you that before. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm actually, when you are asking this question, there are so many stories that have been visible to me and, and uh, just the incidences of, of what team members have shared, what families have shared, what children have shared, right? Uh, I think, uh, Sonimar, one thing that has become more visible to me uh, and is just becoming day by day more crucially visible is the power of cooperation and collaboration. Uh, whatever has happened in the last six to eight months, nothing would have been possible if uh, we were not able to collaborate. Uh, the other piece that, that I'm doing I'm with the team is that uh, the the philosophies that we really believe in, how can we continue to practice? Uh, how can we continue to practice uh, staying in the present? How can we continue to practice uh, giving wise attention to things that need attention? 
how can we continue to practice uh, how what kind of emotions i am holding and how that is kind of you know uh, playing out in my day to day ways of being uh, and i think uh, just the my own social emotional growth or uh, my abilities to response uh, respond to distress my abilities to respond to uh, anxiousness when it comes like i don't know uh, whether i have funds to pay pay my team uh, for this whole year right or uh, being able to sit with it when it comes right being able to see these emotions of distress uh, and respond to them in ways that they must be responded to uh, with all the skills and and know hows that i have how can i respond to them in in ways uh, which is gentle for me gentle for others around me and i think uh, a sense of humility that sinks in when we realize that uh, all of this can just go in a in a zephy right it's just like a snap of finger and everything will just go away uh, what will remain is our connections with each other uh, the people that we are living with working with on a day to day basis uh, uh, a parent said something sonima that i want to just kind of share with you and and that really has stayed with me uh, this was one of the very initial days of reaching out to families when we didn't know how we are going to solve them we were still reaching out right. because we didn't have any funds <laughs> so we were banking on other organizations to give us some resources some ration so that we can give it to our families and this uh, parents said that uh, we don't have food for tomorrow and my colleague uh, aditi was like on the call and she didn't know how to respond she just went blank right and the parent sensed it and she herself said didi don't worry you you teach our children what does patience mean right and especially in tough times we should practice patience wow just in that moment it kind of struck us that what does this work can do right oh yeah. in a time of such acute distress this mother is able to hold on to patience that her child someday may have reminded her shared that i learned this in school who knows when right uh, and then she was able to bring it back into the conversation and i think uh, conversations like these kind of uh, remind me that why i need to continue to do this work yes uh, and and just kind of that belief of continuing uh, one day at a time uh, my my co-founder my colleague amrita keeps reminding us one day at a time uh, so just so that is is my space of growth sonima and and i think uh, there's a long way to go but i'm hoping that uh, uh, we go in in this journey together as a team uh, and i think uh, again I, i keep using this word being blessed or being lucky i think uh, it's just incredible to have a team the kind of team we had at apneshala who stuck around uh, we went through pay cuts we went through uh, you know no increments uh, and and in in non profit space so much is not a, not a lot of money and i think that will be true for us as well right mm-hmm. uh, but teams have just kind of stayed on the course uh, they just stayed for kids they stayed for families they stand they stayed for each other and i think uh, uh, that is the kind of inspiration holding on to uh, that it is possible absolutely and i think that um you know this is such a testament to experiential learning right you can teach the skills to the families and and the kids and to our, and ourselves we read books we read research but until you're in it and you can apply it um it doesn't become a full understanding it's kind of like that experiential and constructivist learning all into one 
um, to help us how, you know, learn how to apply these skills. And I definitely see that, you know, even on, um, you know, in the U.S. where we bring in, you know, my own school has a social emotional learning um, uh, curriculum called Seven Mindsets, but it's separate, you know, it's like, oh, we only do it on Mondays, you know, and it's definitely something that I wholeheartedly believe in and um, uh, strive that we do this every day and all day. And, you know, we take those opportunities that we come across with our families and our students um, to teach things such as patience and resilience and how to keep pushing forward. Um, I think you're, 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 Yourself and your colleagues have shown what it is to be resilient during a hard time. And I think we learn lessons um, that we'll never forget when we are forced to be resilient and push forward. So very inspiring what your team um, is doing right now. Um, and so one thing that I know a lot of people um, don't understand uh, about social emotional learning and with this being a, a podcast that um, a lot of our students and um, colleagues at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology will be, you know, listening to and hopefully broader a broader audience as well. Um, what um, what is a common myth about social emotional learning that you want to take the time to de debunk right now um, that you've learned through? your experience and your um, organization? Oh, I think one common myth is that we don't have to learn this. Ah. Oh. <laughs> yes. I think we, we need to learn how to, how to engage with our emotions. We have not done it in a very long time. Uh, and I, I will also say, Sonima, that it is not that uh, we have never done it. There have actually been many communities around the globe who have focused very deeply on uh, understanding emotions. Uh, there are religious practices, for example, who, who deep, Buddhism, for example, focuses on emotional intelligence to a great deal, right? Uh, so I think uh, the problem is that when school systems got commodified and industrialized, we lost that. Yes. Uh, we need to bring it back. Uh, it has to be understood. It has to be, uh, uh, we need to understand that in our ways of being, uh, our cognitive faculty as well as our emotional faculty both reside for our sense, right? And unless we understand both, how do we respond from both? So that's one piece. I think uh, uh, we all have to learn it and we all can learn. Uh, if we, we don't know. We have picked up ways of responding to anger from our culture, right? Yeah. Uh, and there could be other ways of responding to anger or, or extreme joy also. We can respond to emotions. I mean, uh, there are no positive. Or, the other myth is that uh, there are positive or negative emotions. I think this, this idea that emotions themselves are positive and negative is kind of, I don't know. I, it, I, doesn't I don't resonate with that. I think emotions are emotions. What we do with them uh, may produce negative or positive outcomes. Right. Uh, and how we engage with them can, so uh, anger visits, happiness visits me, uh, sadness comes. Uh, when we start looking at emotions in those uh, ways of understanding emotions, we realize that uh, emotions are emotions. Actions can be separated from emotions and human beings can respond to emotions very differently. And that again can be learned. 
Am I responding to your question? Yes. Yeah. And I, I, um, I definitely uh, agree with, with what you said. Um, sometimes I hear from teachers, uh, it's not our responsibility to teach those things at school. They got to learn that stuff at home. That kind of goes with what you were saying about we don't have to um, learn it. We absolutely do have to learn it. And then something else that resonated with me when you talked about, you know, negative and positive emotions, I think that when you label it as a negative emotion, um, you automatically, uh, one automatically connects that to being shame, right? It's shameful to have negative emotions. Then you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to sit in it and you don't want to resolve it. And then um, it's this cycle of, uh just being ashamed about how you feel instead of dealing with it. So I definitely agree um, with your assertion there. Um, and and Solima, we have actually systematized this, this uh, shaming that you beautifully named, right? Now, say for example, I am extremely happy. Now happiness is seen as a positive emotion. But mm -hmm. what if I, I am very happy, I go get drunk and beat someone. Is that a positive emotion anymore? No. <laughs> uh, whereas I am, I am experiencing a lot of anger and I go and advocate for uh, the rights of black people in US. Right? Yes. Is that a negative emotion anymore? Right? No. Uh, I think, uh, uh, the, and that's the way we have to start reestablishing our newer ways of relating with emotions. And I think uh, uh, how we respond to emotions and how the way communities have responded to emotions have also been systemically uh, stereotyped, right? Uh, uh, like the, the way we, we say that certain communities are emotional or you get too emotional. How do we kind of understand some of these things have to be unpacked? Absolutely. You hear the term a lot of emotionally charged um, yeah. and it's used in a negative term. And I don't think, I think I am emotionally charged often uh, that leads me to doing very positive and uh, wonderful things, uh, either in my own personal life or in my professional life. Um, but I hear that in the media quite often, an emotionally charged event, and it's usually tied to something very negative. So um, a negative, you know, actions, you know, the rioting and all that stuff. So um, I, I definitely understand exactly um, what you just explained and couldn't agree more. Um, we are uh, uh, reaching quickly an hour and I can go on and on and talk about this for many, many more hours, but uh, out of respect for your time, I just have a few more uh, questions. Uh, tell us what is next for Apneshala? So as you look ahead at the next three, six or 12 months, what are your plans and uh, what are your hopes and your goals? Uh, so one thing that is very clear for us that uh, our vision and strategy remains same. Uh, we reviewed it, we looked at it from the contextual reality and it has become more and more significant that we continue to do what we are doing. Uh, what has changed for us is the ways of doing it and that's something that we want to uh, master further for ourselves uh, because the team is really good with say their understanding and, and uh, execution of social emotional learning work. But 
uh, what are the different newer spaces that we can engage with? What are the uh, newer ways in which we can uh, work with our existing stakeholders? So that's something that we are looking at. Uh, that is one. Two, uh, definitely uh, um, ensuring there's a financial sustainability for the organization. Uh, that that's on on the card uh, on the table for us. That how do we ensure that uh, with the ongoing financial crisis, how do we continue to uh, sustain the organization in ways that we can continue to do this meaningful work, right? So uh, uh, finding new ways of uh, funding uh, the programs that we are running uh, for our students. The third piece is that how do we strengthen and deepen the response in ways that it reaches out to students in online forums, right? So uh, there are still some students who we have not been able to track. They don't have uh, regular phones. They don't have smartphones. They are not reachable. How do we ensure that that reach is kind of, you know, tapped into? So that's another piece that we definitely want to work on. And uh, yeah, I think continue to build uh, strategic partnerships with the government as well as government agencies to uh, find a larger voice to advocate for social emotional development, especially for young people. Thank you so much. Um, and um, before I ask you the final question, if we had um, any listeners or any organizations that wanted to reach out to you to learn more about the organization or to learn how they can help, uh, where can they reach you? Uh, they can directly write to me. Oh, I love talking to people directly. Oh, my email address is Rohit, R-O-H-I-T, at apnishala, A-P-N-S-H-A-L-A, dot O-R-G. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, one question that I always, uh, so whether I'm interviewing a candidate to, you know, work in my organization or just talking to people that I meet, I always like to ask this question. So what have you read or listened to recently that inspired you? My last question. <laughs> There are a couple of things that, that come to mind. Oh. There's this really lovely book that I've been kind of engaging with for the last couple of uh, days called, uh, I'm actually rereading it. It's called The Power of Now. Oh. It's a beautiful, tiny book around uh, understanding mindfulness and how uh, there is a certain sense of strength in understanding the now, the moment of now, and, and, and being and responding in the now. So uh, that's, that's what I would name, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Rohit, thank you so much for talking to us about Apneshala and the work you're doing um, around social emotional learning in, um, in India. It was truly inspiring um, and motiv just motivating me as an educator myself uh, uh, to, to, to do more uh, within my school to integrate social emotional learning um, and embed it in what we do every single day. Thank you for listening to this edition of EdTech Hour. I'm Dr. Kelly Torres, the Department Chair of the Educational Psychology and Technology Program of the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. This podcast was completed through the support of our dedicated faculty, staff, and students. To learn more about the Educational Psychology Technology Program, or if you're interested in being on the EdTech Hour podcast, please reach out to me at ktorres at the chicagoschool.edu.